welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we will be looking at the 1999 film, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of the film or giving a bunch of behind-the-scenes facts, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film. We'll also be giving a score to the film, so trust your feelings and enjoy this episode. I just want to give a special thanks to all those who contributed to starwars.fandom.com wiki, or the Wikipedia as it's more commonly called, because I used this site to put my notes together on the plot and everything, and let's dive into some facts about the movie. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is a 1999 American epic space opera film written and directed by George Lucas, produced by Rick McCollum and Lucas Films, and distributed by 20th Century Fox. It is the fourth film in the Star Wars film series, the first film in the prequel trilogy, and the first uh, chronological chapter of the Skywalker saga. The Phantom Menace premiered May 16, 1999 in Los Angeles, California, and was released in theaters on May 19, 1999. I don't know why 1999 is so complicated for me to say. Almost uh, 16 years after the premiere of Return of the Jedi. The film premiere, uh, the film's premiere was extensively covered by the media and was greatly anticipated because of the large culture, cultural following that, uh, the Star Wars saga had cultivated. Upon its release, The Phantom Menace received mixed reviews, with the visual effects, action sequences, musical score, and some performances, particularly Neeson's, were praised. Criticism was largely focused on the screenplay, pacing, and characters, most notably Jar Jar Binks. Despite the mixed reception, The Phantom Menace was a box office success and broke numerous box office records during its debut. It grossed more than uh, $924.3 million worldwide during its initial run, becoming the highest grossing film of 1999 the second-highest-grossing film worldwide in North America, behind Titanic, and the highest-grossing Star Wars film at the time. A 3D reissue, which earned an additional uh, $102.7 million and brought the film's overall wide, worldwide takings to over a billion, was released in February of 2012. Attack of the Clones, released in 2002, and Revenge of the Sith, released in 2005, followed The Phantom Menace, rounding out the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Uh, the budget for the film was $115 million, or $198.5 million today, and the box office score, as I said before, combined together is $1.027 billion, or $1.8 billion today. The film was edited by Paul Martin Smith and Ben Burt, the music was by John Williams. The cinematography is by David Tattersall. And the production company is Lucas Films, LTD. The runtime for the movie is 133 minutes. The film stars Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, Natalie Portman as Queen Padme Almodala, Jake Lloyd as Anakin Skywalker, Ian McDermott as Senator Palpatine and Darth Sidious, Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, Penella August as Shmi Skywalker, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu, Ray Park as Darth Maul, with Peter Safinowitz as the voice of Darth Maul, 
which I don't ever think I've actually heard Ray Park speak. Because I only know him from this, the other Star Wars movies that he's done, where there was another voice actor. And uh, the X-Men movie, where he played Toad, uh, Toad, and they had a voice actor for that, too. So I don't think I've ever actually heard him talk. And finally, Frank Oz as the voice of Yoda. So let's dive into the plot. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of the trade routes to the outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict. Bum bum bum. (laughs) So, I I don't know, right off the top, I just want to say... I don't actively hate this movie. It's an, I don't think it's that good of a movie. There's good parts of it. But um, I'm going to save all my hatred for episode two when we review that because I, I actively do not like episode two. But... I think this one just has so much potential. Mm-hmm. And it does what it can. The acting, you know, it has a lot of big names here. And I think they did the best they could it's at the end of the day. They yeah. were given... Uh, not great script, I think. And Agreed. But, you know. Yeah. I think if you take away, like, half of this movie, you probably get a solid chunk of film. Agreed. Well, let's dive into the plot. So, 32 years before the events of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, there is a trade dispute between the Trade Federation and the outlying systems of the Galactic Republic, which has led to a blockade of the mid-rim planet of Naboo. Supreme Chancellor Valorum leader of the Galactic Senate, has secretly dispatched two Jedi, Master Qui-Gon Jinn and his Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi, to serve as the ambassadors to the Federation flagship, in order to meet with Viceroy Newt Gunray and resolve the dispute. So my first note here is, Newt Gunray, and we're off to the racism. I mean races. Um, Like this, This film has a lot of criticisms for a lot of different characters in it. Newt Gunray, Jar Jar Binks, and Watto stand out a lot. And, um, you know, it was 1999 already. I don't know, George Lucas kind of based Star Wars off those classic 1950s films to begin with. So, uh, you know, he could be pulling from that. But, I don't know, even in... Not to, you know, compare the two franchises, but with the exception of the Ferengi, Star Trek does a much better job with having different races of people in it than Star Wars does. Yeah. (laughs) particularly in the prequels. But my next note here is that I wrote down, I actually never noticed the stereotypical depictions of the film until I was much older, but this is just one of the many examples. And, you know, it made me say, no thanks, George, not this. That's the thing, too. Like you said, it was 1999, but also it was 1999. Like, we were, no, we've come a long way in that time. And then it was a long time ago, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, we can still party like it's 1999, like Prince wants us to. But... I, I just keep thinking back on it. I just keep thinking of the song, uh, 1999. Yeah. I just want to go down. <laughs> that's in 1999. Oh, that one. Yeah, okay. that one. All right, all right. That one. I was yeah. thinking of the Prince song. You're thinking that yeah. one. That one's yeah. also good. All right. So the Viceroy locks the Jedi in the meeting room and attempts to kill them with poisonous gas while having their ship, which... 
it's Star Wars, so everything has a name. <laughs> um, the Radiant Seven destroyed in the hangar, but they escape. After battling through squads of battle droids, Jin and Kenobi make their way to the command deck where Gunray is located, shielding himself behind blast doors. Uh, the Jedi are forced to flee upon the arrival of two destroyer droids and stow away aboard two separate Federation landing craft, leaving for the surface of Naboo to begin the in uh, invasion. So my note here, I wrote down uh, the quote from Obi-Wan saying, you were right about one thing, Master, the negotiations were short. And I just wrote down that I love the little smirk he says, or he gives while saying this line, and I can't wait to see Ewan McGregor play the character again. Regardless of how awful these movies are, Ewan McGregor has always been a bright light in the darkest of times. I agree with that. Yeah. Also, can we just talk about how the fact that they send Jedi to go deal with this, like... There, there's a political issue. Let's yeah. send the uh, the cops, like third party cops, basically, yeah. not yeah, not like actual politicians. The third party cops who aren't supposed to have any like alliances or like yeah, the magical space wizards with their laser swords. We're gonna send them to the wizard cops. We yeah. sent the wizard cops. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I've since found out. Um, I have this in my notes later on, but. Everything in the movie, and I think I might have talked to you about this off yeah. uh, recording, but everything in the movie up to when they land on Coruscant uh, was just supposed to be Obi-Wan on his own doing it. Qui-Gon Jinn wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, the reason they wrote Qui-Gon Jinn in was because they got Liam Neeson, and he was a much bigger and more famous actor than Ewan McGregor was. So they... Well, one of the problems with this movie is that it doesn't really have a main character. <laughs> it should be Obi-Wan. He should be the main character of all the prequels. But, um, you know, this film doesn't really have a main character, it just kind of has an ensemble cast. But we can dive into that in a moment. Yeah. Back in the command deck, Queen Amidala contacts Gunray to express her disapproval of their blockade, with Gunray explaining that they wouldn't have done it without the approval of the Senate. When she asks about the ambassador sent by the Chancellor, Gunray claims they have received no such ambassadors, leaving Amidala startled and suspicious. Uh, Gunray ends communications with her and informs his aide that they should disable all communications on the planet. Meanwhile, Amidala is conversing with Senator Sheev Palpatine regarding the recent attempt at negotiations and how Gunray claimed that they did not receive any ambassadors. Surprised, Palpatine states that he had assurances from the Chancellor that his ambassadors did arrive. However, Palpatine is unable to finish his sentence as his hologram flickers out. Naboo Governor, oh god, here we go, Cetal Bibble uh, suspects that the interruption of communications is a sign that an invasion from the Trade Federation is imminent. On the planet's surface, Qui-Gon Jinn saves native outcast Jar Jar Binks from being crushed by a Trade Federation MTT. Kenobi appears, pursued by STAPs, which are destroyed by Qui-Gon Jinn. So... I wrote down that in 1999, the CGI in this looked amazing, but today it looks cartoonish. And to always go practical when you can. Yeah, I think they probably could have done a lot better. Well, that's it's later on, but uh, the set where they film like the interiors of the palace on Naboo, like that was a real location. And watching it, I was like, that looks so much better than you know the battle scene and everything, because that was a fake, was a fake CGI location, but. Jar Jar Binks shows the... Oh, should we mention 
the whole reason we're doing this is because Kenobi's coming out. I think the audience is smart enough to figure that out, but, you Yeah, know. we are doing that. That's that is why. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be covering, I guess, and the And we're going to be covering, right, the prequels and then right after, because that's when Kenobi's supposed to take place, correct? Is... Yeah, yeah, we have about... Uh, we're actually recording this on May the 4th, so... So may the 4th be with all of you right yeah. now. I hope you had a great May 4th. Yeah, and I'm going to see how quickly I can get this edited and out. I have about... A week to, to to do it um hopefully i can do it before that but we'll we'll see and jar jar binks shows the two jedi the way to the underground gungan settlement oto gunga gunga i mean everything in star wars has to have a name so they can make a toy out of it meanwhile the trade federation occupies teed the capital city of naboo and captures queen amidala along with the rest of the government and I wrote down, why are Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's clothing and hair dry when they arrive in the Gungan City? Maybe that weird jelly door that they pass through dries them off? You're asking too many questions for <laughs> I mean, a they, movie they... that they did not think. Listen, this movie did not think about practicalities of anything. It was just like, we're in space. Let's do weird space <laughs> Did not, like, actually yeah. well... make it make sense. Like... I think, you know, you you know, you know, mentioned Star Trek. Star Trek at least stays within plausible a lot of the time. Right. Like, it stays within boundaries. Yeah. Like, there's got to be a reason something odd would be happening. And they would explain to you how they dried off. Like, that would, there would be obvious where, like, Star Wars is like, yeah, you don't need answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially uh, the prequels. You don't need answers. Just no. let it go. Well, there, there's a major thing coming up in a few minutes that I'm just like, why? I, it's just something that always bothers me about this movie, but we'll, we'll get to it in a, mon- in a minute. But I wrote down that I really find some of the shots of this movie truly beautiful. The image of Queen Amidala looking out the window as the droid army overtakes the capital is just fantastic. And here's my note about the interiors of Naboo were shot in a real building, and it shows. It looks much better than anything else so far. Uh, and the pl- location is called the Palace of Castora in Italy, and that was the shooting ca- uh, location of the Naboo Royal Palace. So here we go. <laughs> in Otho Gunga, the Jedi meet the Gungan leader, uh, Boss Naz, and ask him to help, people, uh, to help the people of Naboo. But Nas refuses and sends them off in a bungo submarine. They are attacked by an OPC killer and a Colo Claw fish, but both fish are eaten by a Sando Aqua monster. I t- I- <laughs> what was that sentence? Like, you just describe things? It's like, uh huh. I told everything has a name so that they can make a toy out of it. I guarantee that there are toys for all of these things. I want the Sando Aqua Monster <laughs> monster yeah. toy. Well, he's the bigger fish. There's yeah. always a bigger fish. Um, but I wrote a note saying it was nice seeing Qui-Gon Jinn using the old Jedi mind trick on Boss Naz, which, as I mentioned, you know, it was supposed to be Obi-Wan. Kind of would have been cool if it was him doing it, but, you know, it is what it is. The Jedi, with Binks and Toe, arrive in Teed and rescue Queen Amidala. They depart for Coruscant. What? Didn't... <laughs> saw your note oh, things oh, down. Okay. oh sorry okay well we'll get there in a moment um the jedi with binks and toe arrive in teed and rescue queen amidala they depart for coruscant the galactic republic's capital planet to ask for help from the senate as they attempt to run the blockade the queen's starship is damaged by federation battleships 
but an astromech droid named R2-D2, yay, the hero of the series, <laughs> manages to repair it, and they narrowly escape. So this is the part that really bothers me, <laughs> because why do they fly towards the blockade in the first, pace, uh, first place? They are flying into space. Because plot, Jason. No, they could literally go in any direction. <laughs> because that's, plot. Listen, that's something that, whatever you want to say about the sequel series, and maybe we'll get to those someday, um, what was his name? Poe Dameron. His flying in the sequel series actually makes sense. Like, he goes in three-dimensional... Like, that's why he's the best uh, pilot that they have in the Resistance. Mm -hmm. Because he actually flies in three-dimensional space, unlike everyone else in Star Wars, who just flies straight forward no matter what. Like, it makes (laughs) no sense the way that they fly. You can't even, like, make an argument that, like, oh, like, they had to leave in that direction because that was the direction towards Coruscant. Like, how if we were launching into space, we would have to leave at a certain time in a certain direction because the ships just change direction at will in the Star Wars universe. So, it it just bugs me. Bugs me so much. But let's move on. Due to the damage to the ship's hyperdrive uh, sustained in the attack, the Jedi decide to land on the nearby planet uh, Tatooine, instead of proceeding to Coruscant. Newt Gunray contacts Lord Sidious, and he informs the Trade Federation his apprentice, Darth Maul, will find Amidala. So I wrote down here, possibly the best introduction to a Star Wars villain. I think this beats Kylo Ren, this beats Darth Vader's entrance, like, mm-hmm. just seeing, like, because Maul just looks so creepy right away, like, showing up on that hologram. It's like, oh, this guy's, like, got a demon face and horns and stuff. Like, it, he's, he's very creepy, and it's my favorite villain entrance. The other thing, too, is, like, you know, Darth Vader looks like a villain, but Darth Maul, like, looks, like, oh, scary. Yeah, Yeah. I was a kid when this movie came out, and I remember actually discussing it with my friends, because the internet was still relatively new at the time, 1999, and I had friends that told me, oh, you know, he's actually a human, and those are tattoos and stuff, like, and, like, he looks that creepy, and, like, that's all a lie, but yeah. in 1999, you had no way to confirm that, and it was just like, wow, he really is super evil, like, looking that way and everything, but yeah, uh, he might he might be my favorite Star Wars villain, and Vader might edge him out just a little bit, but Darth Maul is super cool, uh, not, not in this movie, because of course not, but, but in supplemental stuff, he, he becomes a very cool character. While searching for the new hyperdrive generator, they befriend young Anis- Anakin Skywalker, a slave boy whose master Watto, a t- hmm, toydoidian junk dealer... A toydarian junk sorry, dealer. excuse me, toydarian junk dealer. I, I'm, I'm being a speciest by getting Watto's species wrong. Watto has the required parts in stock, but Qui-Gon Jinn is unable to purchase them, as galactic... or as, excuse me, as Republic credits are worthless on Tatooine. You need something more real. <laughs> um... And I wrote down a note here saying, Ashley, are you an angel? (laughs) I'm not criticizing Jake Lloyd because that that poor guy has been through hell um, and has a lot of problems as a result of this movie because he was bullied relentlessly by people for for years because of this movie. I'm criticizing George Lucas's writing with that line. Somebody really needed to tell George no for like half of what he wrote. Somebody needed to be like, no, George. Yeah. Well, that's. You can't write these. That's what made the original series so great is that there were a lot of people overseeing what George did. And even when they were going to shoot, like Mark Hamill, um, uh, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher were like, 
George, you write terrible dialogue. This isn't how people would talk at all. And they, they would change the lines for the scenes. So, you know, like, I'll, I'll get to my opinion about George Lucas in a little bit. But this is just an awful line, and his dialogue is awful. And I, my other note says, Watto and the racism's, racism continues, but gets even weirder. Because Watto, you can't exactly nail down what he's supposed to be. I've heard people say, oh, he's supposed to be Jewish. Oh, he's supposed to be Greek. He's supposed to be Italian. He's whatever ethnicity you think are uh, shady, you know, deal makers and everything. Yeah. So whatever ethnic background you despise, that's what Watto is. He, he fits all, all racist uh, categories. Moving right along, Anakin is gifted with piloting and mechanical abilities and has built an almost complete droid named C-3PO. Qui-Gon Jinn senses a strong presence of the Force in Anakin and feels that he may be the chosen one, the one who will fulfill a prophecy by bringing balance to the Force. So my note here I wrote, I disagree with the decision to make Anakin a child, but I will, I will say that I do like how, since he is a child, he quote-unquote brags to Padme about uh, what a great pilot he is, how he's a great pod racer, and how he built C-3PO. He doesn't even give her the chance to say yes or no to seeing C-3PO. He just grabs her hand and drags her off to see it like a child would. He's like, oh, pretty lady? Like, you know, I like you. You come with me and, like, see this droid I built. By the way, I'm a great pod racer. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, 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 do, I do like that aspect of his personality since he is a child. I, I wouldn't want him to be. Had I been around in 1999 telling George what to do, but, you know, uh, since he is a child, I do like that aspect of him. By entering Anakin into a pod race, Qui-Gon Jinn orchestrates a gamble in which the boy will be released from slavery while also acquiring the parts needed for their ship. The night before the, the race, Qui-Gon does a blood test on Anakin and discovers that the boy's metachlorian reading is off the charts. And I have a couple notes here because it's plot points that the summary kind of skips over. But Anakin has a Jesus birth. There's no father. His mother just gives birth to him. And previously in the comics, it was established that Palpatine con uh, conceived Anakin using the Force. But that was recently retconned out because since Palpatine is Rey's grandfather and Anakin would have been his Force baby, it would have made Rey and Kylo distantly related and Lucasfilms didn't like that. So they just kind of, rec they were like, oh no, that was a possibility of how Anakin was conceived. That's not canonically what happened. Also, metachlorians. So it doesn't matter uh, what training. So, yeah, go that, hold on. So if that's not the canonical way that that happened now. So what is the canonical way? Like, they don't do we have, have one. one? No, they don't have one currently. So why we just needed to ditch the raised yeah. Palpatine's granddaughter yeah. plot? Because uh, that clearly just, because... That makes more sense for Palpatine to have conceived Anakin via the yeah. Force. Like to me, that's like ah, logical. Yeah, he learned. So I'll take it. He learned from um, Darth Plagueis how to manipulate the Metachlorians to create life, and uh, yeah. he, he creates Anakin, and he puts so many Metachlorians in him that makes him so powerful. Like he's orchestrated this whole thing. And it, in the comic, I forget what it was. It, it was a Vader comic, um, but he goes on this kind of vision quest, and in it, he sees a vision of Palpatine manipulating his mother's womb. Like, yeah. not that he's physically there doing it, but he just sees a vision of it, and that's how he was conceived. And they've that came out before Episode Nine did. And when Episode Nine came out, and people like me were like, oh, so Kylo Ren and Rey are kind of related? That's kind of gross. And uh, Disney went, oh, no, 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 they're not related. <laughs> like, uh, no, that was just a possibility of how Anakin was conceived. You have to remember, conceived. Disney forgets 
Yeah. <coughs> everything that's in the like well they don't have a extended universe they don't have a kevin feige overlooking like yeah. Mar- overlooking uh star wars like they do with marvel that's that's a separate conversation <laughs> um but i also wrote down about the metachlorians it doesn't matter how much training you do or how deeply you study the force it all comes down to how much bacteria you have in your body that's yeah. that's how powerful you'll be and also i love padme's face when she finds out that anakin has not only never won a race, but has never even finished one. And say what you will about Natalie Portman's acting ability in this movie, the look of shock and horror that Qui-Gon Jinn has bet everything on this kid is just fantastic. Like, it's just this perfect, what the f*** are you doing, you moron Jedi? (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, That's also because she's like, she's queen of an entire planet. She's like... Yeah. Well, she even has a line before the pod race begins saying to Qui-Gon... No, Qui-Gon says to her, the queen the queen trusts my decisions, and she says something along the lines of, like, you presume too much or so. I can't remember the exact line, but it's it's just fantastic. So I wrote down here, this wasn't included in the summary, uh, I wrote this myself, before the, pod ra- before the pod race begins, we see a toy advertisement for all the different pod racers, because the announcer not only says the, pod ra- the racer itself, but the driver and everything, their pods, and the characters in the crowd... And they're now on sale at your local Toys R Us. <laughs> go ahead and gobble them up in 1999. Yeah. Yeah. And that the pod racing scene does go on too long, but it is a cool scene in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That's, I think that's part of the reason this movie is like a pain in the ass, is just because the pod racing goes on. Like, mm. I get it's like one of the iconic scenes of the tr- first tr- the original, like the tr- trilogy to begin with, but it's also like not. Yeah. It didn't need to be that long. It didn't have to be three laps. It could have been yeah. two laps or one really long lap. And But I just, and I also wrote down that I just noticed for the first time while watching this movie, the reason that Anakin's pod stalled in the beginning was because he had the parking brake on. I always thought that it was because of Sebulba going up and messing with his pod, but that doesn't actually, the damage from that doesn't affect it until the third lap. It's literally, like, he literally is, like, trying to get it to go and it stalls out, and then he pulls the parking brake down and it goes like he had the parking brake the emergency brake in like a car yeah like it it just made me because i never noticed that before and it made me laugh anakin wins the race defeating his rival sebulba also a toy available that you can get (laughs) and joins the team as they prepare to leave for coruscant where qui-gon jinn plans to seek permission from the jedi high council to train anakin to be a jedi so i wrote here in my note Excuse me. Why does Qui-Gon, or why doesn't Qui-Gon just use his laser sword to cut off Watto's head and take both Anakin and his mother? Like, is it really less cruel to financially ruin Watto and abandon Shmi to whatever life she'll have as his slave, rather than just kill him? Especially now that he has less money (laughs) to take care of her and, like, keep her. Yeah. Like, Watto literally says to him, he's like, you ruined me. Like, I bet everything on Sebulba... And, like, I've lost everything. And then we see where he ends up in the next movie. Yeah. Like, but, no, it was just better for Qui-Gon to do it that way, I guess. Meanwhile, Darth Sidious sends his apprentice, Darth Maul, to kill the two Jedi and capture the Queen. Maul appears just as the group is leaving the planet and duels with Qui-Gon Jinn. The fight is cut short when Qui-Gon escapes his black-robed assailant, by jumping on board the Naboo Royal Starship, also available to purchase, as it and I think even now it's a Lego toy, as it takes off. And I wrote down the fight between Qui-Gon and Maul was much longer 
than uh, what was made for the final cut of the film. They, they took a sequence out where they were actually both battling on that little landing pad of uh, the Naboo ship. Yeah. And that's why when it, it cuts back to Maul, he's standing up because Qui-Gon Jinn cut, uh, kicked him off of there. And then that's why Qui-Gon is also laying back or when Obi-Wan comes up to mm-hmm. Which, it's so weird that Obi-Wan's like, oh, they're fighting. Well, let's fly over there. Like, not like, I need to go help my master or anything. He's just like, yeah, fly over there and see see if we can get him. But moving right... It, it, it was supposed to be Obi-Wan having the fight, but not, that's neither here nor there. On Coruscant, Qui-Gon informs the Jedi Council of the mysterious attacker he encountered on Tatooine, coming to the conclusion that his attacker is a Sith, the latter being a religious order who were followers of the dark side of the Force and thought to have been extinct for over a millennium, much to the shock of the Jedi Council. And this is where I put my note about Qui-Gon would have shown up now on Coruscant rather than being with Obi-Wan the whole time. I also just find it fascinating from the perspective that they're they're just all like, there's still Sith out there? Like, Like, I don't, that seems so wild to me that they just be like ah we got rid of all those those folks we don't even need to we're done with that yeah i know people have since all three of the prequels come out said no like the terribleness of the jedi was done on purpose to to show how the order was failing it's i'm like no it's just bad writing by george's part like these are supposed to be like the wisest people in the galaxy and they're all idiots like it's not yeah and even Master Yoda's an idiot, which is very disappointing. Because, like, when you think about it, like, and we find out, like, you know, then the Empire starts and stuff, like, later on. Like, all these bad people were around. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just two Sith at any, like, it's definitely not just two Sith at any time, you know? Like, Well, let's say even hypothetically you do eradicate all the Sith. You kill every single one. It's just studying the dark side of the force yeah like any jedi could fall to that at any moment and i i have the personal opinion that the sith are actually the true like users of the force now they give into their emotions too much but the jedi especially in these movies we find out are supposed to be weird emotionless monks like uh-huh. like it, it like they're not actually like no you naturally have feelings like you even obi-wan in this movie he has an attachment to qui-gon jinn even though he's not supposed yeah. to like yeah, it's just not natural, and I, I I more so side with with the Sith or the you know legendary Grey Jedi who don't really exist anymore. <laughs> but but that's you know that's neither here nor there. Let's see. Qui Gon also informs the Council about Anakin, hoping that he can be trained as a Jedi. After testing the boy and deliberating with one another, the Council refuses, deeming him too old for the training according to the Jedi cult Jedi mm, the Jedi Code. They are also concerned that they sense much fear in the boy and that he has a clouded future. These idiot Jedi. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Senator Palpatine meets with Queen Amidala to uh, warn of the corruption of the Senate and advises that she may have to call for a vote of no confidence in Supreme Chancellor Valorum. And I wrote that I uh, I love Terran Stamp as uh, Chancellor Valorum. He has such a presence in movies and I wish they had done more with him. And another thing that the prequels did very well, very well is Palpatine's storyline, and Ian McDermott is just perfect. Um, like, just showing this yeah. character throughout the prequels was fantastic. You know, in regard to, like, Chancellor Valorum, like, the answer there would have just been more to focus on the politics, yeah. at least in this movie and in this trilogy, versus focusing on 
nothing. Like you said, we don't get a main character. Yeah. Like, if we had kind of adjusted the plotline a little to be more just about the politics, throw in some fighting and stuff, you yeah. know, it would have been a little bit more... If Anakin was older and... Palatable, too. Yeah, and already a Padawan, instead of, like, you know, being a slave on a planet and everything. Well, but, even if they come across, like, a young boy that, like, has Force powers, but has never been, like, formally trained, like, yeah. a young adult. Yeah. Like, like that's how a, Luke was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You come across a young adult, like, yeah, that would be too much, like, but that's, you know, raised the same way. You come across a young adult that's... Yeah. ...has a connection to the Force. Like, yeah. I don't know. Or even if you could, there's a million what ifs. I personally feel like Anakin and uh, Obi Wan should have been peers. Like they should have been about the same age, and they should have, you know. I I think that would have worked better too for the Padme and Anakin love story that exists. Yeah. That's a little awkward just because of. She's like 14 and he's eight or whatever. Yeah. I I I mean it it gets better in the next one because they're the ten years have passed so. You know, they're closer in age, whatever you want to say. And it wasn't a two-way street when they were younger. Like, he no. li- he liked her. She was just no. like, okay, that's I know a you're boy. right, but, like, <laughs> I think the fact that it started out as him being a child and her seemingly being so much older, it's just yeah. awkward. Well, it's funny, too, because before we... Wa- I mean, looking at Natalie Portman now, just because it's been 20 years, like, it, it's like, wow, she looks so young in this movie. Like, I had a different perspective yeah. in this one, like, watching, I'm like, she, not that she looks old now, she doesn't, but I was just like, she looks so young in this movie that, like, I, I bought her being younger than, because I think she's she's 14 and he's 8. I think those are their actual ages in, in the movie, but let's see. When the petition to the Senate is refused, Amidala sees no uh, alternate... Oh, I forgot to mention, too, Kira Knightley's in this, and she's the body double for Padme slash Amidala. Um, I wonder if that's why they do that weird voice that she does when she's Queen Amidala, because, like, they were trying to make the two of them sound similar. Like, she she does that weird, deep, kind of British accent. I don't know. But um, when the petition to the Senate is refused, Amidala sees no alternate... uh, No, excuse me. No alternate alternative, but to do just that. Palpatine is among the candidates to become new Supreme Chancellor. The Queen later announces to Palpatine that she will return to their home planet to repel the invasion of her people by herself. And I wrote down here in my note, Star Wars politics is very confusing and only gets more confusing. Amidala is an elected queen of a planet Yet she is allowed to call for a vote in the Senate, a government entity that she has no authority in. It would be like a governor of the United States calling for a vote in the federal government. Like, yeah. It, it's just weird. Again, this is one of those, like, if we had focused more on the politics and, like, learning more, like, yeah. I think this would have been a better movie. Like, take out the pod racing, take all that out, take out take out some of the Gungan stuff. Like, I, I don't think it's all bad, but, like, yeah. I think that... It's fascinating to have, the, the, like, a different kind of species involved, but take out the racism there, but, like, again, just throw it back to more politics going on, and yeah. this movie gets a little bit more interesting, I think. Well, because Star Wars has always been, like, even the first one was a political movie. People like to say, oh, keep politics out. It's always been political. Like, I don't know. but it, I it, just... Of course it's political. It's literally a rebel faction fighting, like... Yeah. Well, I just mean it's it, uh, as far as the politics being confusing to me goes. I mean, literally, like what they call the people. Like, 
Amidala's a queen because she's elected. Yeah. In the next movie, Count Dooku is a count because he's the ruler of his planet. Like, I'm like, no, he should be a king and she should be, like, a governor. So, like, I just mean literally, like, the titles are confusing yeah. to me in Star Wars, why they're the way that they are. But anyway, Amidala is frustrated by the Senate's uh, deliberation and lack of action and feels that even pa- if Palpatine is elected chancellor, it'll be too late. The Jedi Council sends uh, the two Jedi to account- accompany the Queen back to Naboo, hoping to shed light on any Sith involvement. And I have here a note, uh, Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan saying that the Council will decide Anakin's future. And I said, Qui-Gon, you have no idea just how right you are. Like, literally, every- the Council is responsible for Anakin turning evil. Like, every yeah. step along the way, they're just like, no, Anakin, like, we'll grant you the rank of, uh, or we'll grant you a seat on the Council, but you're not a master. Oh, well, like, it's literally everything that makes Anakin turn evil is the Council's fault. Um... And if you want to get into extended Star Wars stuff, even them kicking out uh, Ahsoka of the Jedi Order. Yeah. That was taking something away from Anakin there, too. But Amidala, back on Naboo, attempts to locate the the Gungans at (laughs) Ota Gunga. But Jar Jar, after searching the the city, informs them that it has been abandoned. He then leads them to the Gungan sacred place, where he is certain the Gungans will be. And I wrote in my note, notice how the group didn't have to fight their way back onto Naboo because they went around the blockade. (laughs) Stop making sense. (laughs) But they're in space. All right, I'll move on. Uh, The Gungans are initially distrustful until the quote-unquote handmaiden, Padme, reveals herself as the true queen and humbly begs for their help. She negotiates with Boss Naz, Boss Naz, to inform or to form an alliance and unite their peoples in battle against the trade federation and my note here is i love the look that qui-gon gives obi-wan when padme reveals that she is real the real queen amidala it's like they had a bet and qui-gon Jin just won it like he gives him and obi-wan's like looking down like oh no like like it's like they had a secret bet off camera that we never got to see where qui-gon's like hey hey i'm using my force abilities Padme, she's the real queen, and Obi-Wan's like, no, I don't sense that, (laughs) and then, boom, it just happened. That's what I like to picture, anyway. Um, So, Captain Penka, Penka, Panaka, Panaka, thank you, Captain Panaka, and several other security forces, again, has to have a name so they can make a toy of them, Um, several other security forces were also dispatched to rescue anyone imprisoned by the Trade Federation's prison camps although they were only able to successfully extract a handful and in the movie he actually says oh i I brought back several of the leaders like it's like i brought back the most important people and left everyone else there Uh, next amidala informs qui-gon and naz of her battle strategy with the grand gungan army acting as a distraction to the bulk of the main trade federation forces the naboo resistance led by herself captain panaka and the Jedi will infiltrate Feed via a secret entrance located inside one of the waterfalls. Newt Gunray, hearing reports of the, of the Grand Army's assembly, informs Darth Sidious. Sidious orders Gunray to wipe out both the Gungans and the Naboo as the Trade Federation prepares for battle. <laughs> Captain Ruse Tarpals orders the Gungan Grand Army 
to activate their shields. I don't even know who that is. I think that's the other Gungan that's gray, that's like with Jar Jar hanging out with them, because Jar Jar's made the general or whatever, which protects them from ranged attacks. OOM9 has his... I'm telling you, every character has to have a name. Has his tanks fire first, but seeing them fail to penetrate the powerful shield orders them to cease. Dalta Dauphine gives the command to activate the battle droids. These droids march through the shield and open fire on the Grand Army, soon destroying the shield generator. As the tanks cause heavy casualties among the Gungans, defeat for the Alliance seems imminent. Anything you'd like to say about the, the Gungans battle or anything? No. no? Okay. It's really nothing to say there. <laughs> However, victory comes when young Anakin Skywalker accidentally takes control of a starfighter and goes on to destroy the Federation's droid control ship from the inside, killing Dolthra Dauphin and rendering the droid army useless. Meanwhile, Amidala and her force fight their way back into the royal palace and capture Newt Gunray. Ah, <sighs> uh, yes. The child <laughs> saves them all. Yeah. Well, he, he tried spinning. That was a neat trick. Um, <laughs> you know... Or a good trick, excuse me. Um, it, 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 that's it. Just it's silly because he flies into their ship. Like they don't have yeah. a shield there, blocking ships from coming in. Like it's, meh, whatever. At the same time, in the Teed Hangar Bay, Darth Maul engages in ca- in combat with the two Jedi using his double bladed lightsaber. The battle moves from the hangar across a series of catwalks to the Teed Generator Complex. And so I wrote, okay. There's nothing I can really say about the Duel of the Fates, both the music and the actual fight, that hasn't already been said. So I'll just say this. It is awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> such a good fight. Yeah. Like, this is the parts of the movie we keep from this movie. Yeah. The, well, like, people criticize it and say it's over-choreographed and stuff like that, but, you know... you. you the previous fights that we had were Vader versus Obi Wan. Sorry, his star is not supposed to be a little over the top and campy at times. Like, let it be what's gumby, folks. But I mean, like, this is like a real sword fight. Like, you know, <laughs> like we had Obi Wan, old man Obi Wan and Vader fighting, which they were gently touching tips with each other the whole time. Yeah. Then we had Luke and Vader fighting, which was the first time was just Vader throwing stuff at Luke until he cut his hand off. <laughs> yep. And then the second time was, you know, kind of similar to Obi- old man Obi-Wan and Vader fighting. This was awesome. Like, this was fantastic to see. Um, and it still holds up, in my opinion. But during the fight, Obi-Wan is separated from his master by being kicked off of a catwalk. He grabs the edge of another catwalk below and jumps back up to where Qui-Gon Jinn and Maul continue to fight. By this time, Qui-Gon Jinn and Maul have uh, become separated by a force field in the entrance to the generator room. Obi-Wan catches up to them, but is divided uh, from his master by the four, by four force fields. When the force fields deactivate, Jinn and Maul continue their battle, while Obi-Wan remains divided from the battle by one force field when they all reactivate. After the lengthy duel... Maul suddenly stirs, uh, excuse me, Maul suddenly stuns Qui-Gon Jinn by hitting him on the chin with his lightsaber handle, then rams the blade straight into Qui-Gon Jinn's chest, mortally wounding, wounding him. And I have this note here saying, Obi-Wan's no scream. Seems like uh, he's formed a strong attachment to Qui-Gon Jinn. Tisk, tisk, not the Jedi way. <laughs> 
to form a strong attachment to your like mentor though yeah the person who's basically raised you since you were a child yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like has taught you all this cool stuff to do and everything yeah like uh, teacher and parent like i form strong attachments to my professors and stuff yeah. like and just imagine how much cooler it would be if they were like, hey, let me show you how to move stuff with your mind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, now now I'm going to show you how to fight with a laser sword. Like, Thanks, Helen. Yeah, Love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But devastated, Obi-Wan redoubles his assault on Maul and chops the Sith's saber in half. Maybe a little foreshadowing there. But Maul eventually overpowers and nearly kills Kenobi by force pushing him over the edge of a seemingly bottomless reactor shaft. Obi-Wan saves himself from falling when he manages to grab onto a pipe protruding from the wall of the shaft. Maul kicks the Jedi's lightsaber into the pit and prepares to finish him off. After Obi-Wan calms himself, calms himself, he uses the Force to leap out of the shaft and over Maul's head while summoning his fallen master's lightsaber into his hand. He, he lands behind the surprised Maul and cuts him in half. Maul's upper and lower body fall into the shaft. And my note here is, it really doesn't make sense how Obi-Wan managed to pull off that maneuver. In my opinion, he should have jumped backwards, landing onto, like, the yeah. landing. And then you could have had Maul jump over the thing to try and get at him, and that's when Obi-Wan cuts him in half. Like, especially with the third movie and having the high ground and everything being the winning factor, yeah. it just, it doesn't make sense. But, Whatever. Obi-Wan reaches Qui-Gon moments before he dies, and Qui-Gon instructs Obi-Wan to train Anakin to become a Jedi, reiterating that Anakin is the Chosen One. Obi-Wan gives his word that he will train him. Qui-Gon dies, leading Obi-Wan to grieve for his deceased master. The newly elected Chancellor Palpatine arrives to congratulate Queen Amidala on her victory, as Newt Gunray is sent to stand trial for his crimes. Later in a room in the Queen's Palace, Yoda confers upon Obi-Wan the rank of Jedi Knight. Kenobi argues with Yoda about his promise to Qui-Gon regarding Anakin's training. Yoda is convinced that it is dangerous to train the boy, but tells Kenobi that the Jedi Council has allowed Skywalker to become Kenobi's apprentice. Later that evening, in a temple in Teed, Qui-Gon's body is cremated, and Mace Windu and Yoda agree that the Sith are definitely to blame for the tragedy. As there are only ever two Sith at any given time, a master and an apprentice, both masters believe that, that one still remains. The Naboo and the Gungans organize a great victory celebration on the streets of Teed in front of the palace. Obi-Wan and Anakin are present, the younger now wearing formal Jedi attire, and his hair is in a special braid, the mark of a Jedi Padawan. The film ends with Queen Amidala presenting a gift of appreciation and friendship to Boss, to boss Naz and the Gungan people. And my final note here is, so the handling of Palpatine and Sidious is very well done in my opinion. I had multiple friends who have never seen Star Wars and watched them in chronological order and didn't know that Palpatine ends up being Emperor, so it was a genuine shock to them that they revealed that he is also the Sith Master. Like, they genuinely didn't realize that Palpatine and Sidious were the same person. Yeah. They thought that they were two different people. So I guess that just goes to show how good Ian McDermott's performance was. Yeah. Right? Um, but is there anything... Uh, I just, you know, I want to go back to, like, the Sith and, like, them being like, oh, there has to be somebody else somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. Like, again, 
my takeaway always with the rule of two was always isn't it should be more like a padawan and like their jedi knight like their master like it's the same thing the rule of two would be you know yeah an apprentice and this you know the master yeah Yeah. like that's how it always should be like i don't really so when they sit there and be like oh there's only ever two at a time like how is that logical to you though like of course there's more yeah like you're sitting here telling me there's only two sith ever at a time and then one kills the other and then they're gonna train another one like no that is how something dies off yeah like well it's it's weird um because like having read I, i don't know if any of this is still canonical or not but having read uh different star wars media darth plagueis Sidious's, uh, yeah, uh, master is still alive at this point. Yeah, and so technically, Darth Maul wasn't an apprentice yet. He was a Sith assassin that Sidious was training, and it's it's just really weird in my because like no, there would have been three of them at that time, but he technically wasn't an apprentice, and he was evidently training him to help him kill. And if you're training assassin, like if you're training Sith Sith assassins. Then like, there's more Sith out there. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they're not like the main two in charge, but clearly there's more. And then you have like Asajj Ventress. Like you have all these other and Dooku. These folks that are around. Like you're right, Dooku. Like you have. Which I don't know. Like you can't say there's only ever two, and like say it with such like conviction. Like there's only ever two. Like you just sound stupid. Then like they sound stupid here. Like. Agreed. What uh, what they kind of should have done, I, I guess that's one of the ways that they're showing off uh, how flawed the Jedi Order is and everything. I guess. You know, I mean, even, you know, Luke Skywalker in uh, Episode Eight says that the height of their power, they created Darth Vader. Like, they were, they were responsible for the creation of the greatest Sith Lord of all time. So, eh. But, I don't know. It's, it's complicated, and it, it's a lot of ways silly and, like, and I stupid. I know a lot of the video games are, like, not, like canon canon but all the yeah. old republic stuff like when you're playing those video games like it's all sith lords fighting against one each other like the rule of two is in place but it is mu- very much like a you they you expect you're expected to overtake your master yeah. at some point to yeah. be better than them but they're also all fighting each other yeah like there's multiple masters and they're all trying to be lords and they're all trying to be better lords and be in charge like that tr- is what's going on. They're trying to be, oh, the Sith. Yeah. <laughs> like Palpatine became. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so but... it's funny to me that, like, and, you know, I, I don't know how much we can. I know Old Republic takes place way before, but, yeah. like, you can't tell me that we've gone so far away from that, from a society that's, like, literally just the dark side of the Force, but it's still exactly the Jedi. Like, they're, yeah. they're living very similarly. Yeah. I don't know. It It's really weird to me because, like, especially people heavily criticized Disney because they threw away all the EU when they bought Star Wars. But if you actually know what George Lucas said about it, he said none of the EU is canonical. All that's canonical are the movies that he made. It's a sandbox that he let other people play in, but it doesn't count. And, I, like, so, you know, the, e, the EU never actually counted. And going forward what the eu is now is whatever disney says it is like that's and like i definitely think disney has put some efforts into kind of yeah they brought back thrawn and they've yeah take from that but also make it much more palatable and 
Because I think a lot of stuff from canon too, like it just fought with one another as well. Because yeah. they didn't really know what they were doing. It was a bunch of writers writing. You're right, sandbox. Yeah. A sandbox of people writing things and nobody really conferring with one another. So you didn't have anybody keeping the canon straight. Yeah. Like. Well, even one of the cool things that they did when we were kids, I don't know if you remember when they did uh, Shadows of the Empire, mm-hmm. and they simultaneously released the book, the comic, and the video game all at the same time. And depending on which media you consumed, you got a different ending for what happened. Yeah. Um, in that game. Not overall, but to uh, Dash Rendar, who was the main protagonist of the game. Like, if you got the video game, you find out, oh, he, he survived... If you read the book or the comic, oh, Dash Rendar died. Like, how sad. <laughs> but, but like, it's just, it, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's difficult to keep track of everything in, in Star Wars, what counts, what doesn't. <laughs> it's, but That's why you need somebody to really kind of... I know, like, the newer books yeah. do a better job at, like... Because I've been reading the latest Thrawn books that are out, mm. and... Those do have, like, a formal explanation of, like, where this book fits in the timeline, where it fits in regards to television shows and the movies, and it's like, okay, so this is, like, official canon, like, it's in the space properly. And I think going forward, the more Disney tries to do that, we'll have better kind of understanding of the canon. I agree. My only real problem with what Disney has done, honestly, is... uh... The handling of Boba Fett because it, and I'll, I'll bring this up in episode two because I have major criticisms of um, Boba Fett's not supposed to be a badass. He's supposed to look like a badass but be completely incompetent because that's what both him and his father Jango Fett are. And when we get to episode two, I'll lay out all the examples of how, yeah. how that is. Um, but in any in any regard, I'm going to go into my overall score now. Okay. All right. So. There are great things about this movie and awful things. I've said to people before that George Lucas is a creative genius. And like all geniuses, he can't tell his good ideas from his bad ones. So with the prequels, you get both. I have a soft spot in my heart for this movie because it came out when I was a child and I really enjoyed it. The next film, however, I was much older and did not feel the same way. I think overall the prequels are bad movies, but not without their highlights. In fact, I would go so far as to say that every Star Wars movie, minus Empire, is kind of a bad movie, but has a lot of good things in it. Uh, This one had great special effects for the time period when it came out, but they look pretty bad now. And as I've said before, you should always go practical. The use of uh, CGI to enhance your practical effects, but don't just go pure CGI. And this movie is a great example of that. The real sets and and locations still look great, but the CGI doesn't. The music is great. John Williams always delivers. The acting is okay for the most part. A lot of people attribute uh, bad dialogue to bad acting, but they are not the same thing. And I give episode one, The Phantom Menace, a five out of ten. Yeah, like I said, I think we talked about enough that the, it's not bad acting. It's yeah. bad, bad writing, basically, yeah. which is something that Star Wars suffers from a lot of the time. And I think, like you said, it's because George Lucas has ideas, and they're good, but they're also really bad, and yeah. somebody needs to, like, rein it in sometimes and be like, he needs, like, three or four editors to go, no, yeah, no, no. And I think Star Wars would really need somebody that'd be, like, in charge of Star Wars, that, like, likes Star Wars, loves Star Wars, and, like, 
wants to respect the canon, respect the timeline, respect what's going on, and respect George Lucas, but also be like, we're not doing that, George. Like, that's that's not a thing that we're doing. Like, somebody needs to take everything and, like, control it, because... I think we've got it. Like it gets it, like it gets out of the way. And this was years ago, so it doesn't matter now. But yeah. like, and if he's involved going forward, he yeah. can still he it's can also, still do something. Yeah, it's yeah. You're right. It's not a pretty movie either. No, it's not a good looking movie. And like literally, there's some characters that look like cartoons. Yeah, because of the the way that like they're shaped. And like in the I think I registered yeah. that as a kid, but now even more so as an adult, it's like oh, this is just. Not a good, pretty movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and we're stuck on Tatooine a lot, which is also not a fun planet to look at. Like, and we're always going back. And to we're it. always back on Tatooine. Yeah. Just like we're always back with the Skywalker. Yeah, we'll get into that for some unholy reason. I think I well, I imagine we're doing this for Kenobi. <laughs> Maybe we'll do the originals for the next Maybe. season of Mando, and then at some point we'll do the sequel series, which. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about Book of Boba, too, like, as much as I... I still haven't watched it. I've only watched a few episodes, and it's like... Well, I just... You know what? Boba Fett suffers from the same thing this suffers from. There's a lot of political intrigue going on in the Book of Boba Fett, but then we throw in some action because it's Boba Fett, Hmm. so... And it's like, what are we doing with this series? And then apparently Mando shows up at the end of that, too, so, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like... I just, I like a lot of things that Dave Filoni has done with characters in Star Wars. I vehemently disagree with how he's handled Boba Fett. Vehement. Like, as soon as he showed up in Mandalorian Season... I had a lot of problems with Mandalorian Season 2. But when he showed up in Mandalorian Season 2 and was this ultimate badass before he even got in the armor, and then he got in the armor and was even more of an ultimate badass, I was like, no, this isn't... Like, if you've ever read Star Wars comics with Boba Fett, or anything with Boba Fett, he's incompetent. Like, he just looks cool. That's why he gets what... Like, people think he's this ultimate badass bounty hunter, but he's not. Same thing with his father. Like, we'll, we'll get we'll get into it in, in episode two. But I just... I have a problem with how Filoni handled Boba Fett. So I didn't watch Book of Boba Fett, because I was like, no, I don't want to see Boba Fett be this ultimate badass, because that's not what he is. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go, no, you, no, because you're, you're right, though. And yeah. Like, just say I do give this a 5 out of 10 as well. Okay. Like, you're right. I think what they do with Boba Fett is odd. Yeah. And, like, especially because they do give him, make him, like, to be a little bit incompetent in that. And I'm like, okay, so we're, like, we're we're reaching. We're, get, we're getting there. But also, we have to have these incredible scenes where you're like, oh, my God, how did Boba Fett do that? And it's like, Here's Bo- that should be Mando doing that. Like, I want to be like, how did Mando do that? Exactly. <laughs> Here's Boba Fett's accomplishments in the original movies. He farms out uh, getting Han Solo to Darth Vader, much like his father farmed out assassinating Amidala to another bounty hunter. He then takes Vader to Jabba and hangs out in Jabba's palace until he has a hilarious death where he falls into a pit because his backpack didn't work. Like, he's not this ultimate bat. He looks super cool. I get it. I think he looks super cool. So does Mando look super cool, but Mando actually is a badass. Boba Fett is incompetent. Jango Fett is incompetent. What does Jango Fett do? He fails to kill Obi-Wan. He gets lucky uh, escaping Obi-Wan because for some reason when they fought each other, Obi-Wan decided not to use any force powers on him for whatever reason. 
And then he gets his head cut off by Mace Windu. <laughs> like, the Jango Fett's incompetent, Boba Fett's incompetent. They just look super cool. So when you make them into ultimate badasses, especially when he's like 75 years old now, I'm just like, no, I can't. I can't with this. Yeah, you, you, you want him to be to look cool but not actually be able to do anything. That's the whole... Boba Fett's a joke. Like, he's a hilarious joke that I think only me and George Lucas get. Like, I feel like I'm crazy when I talk about this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, because I I think you're right. Like, even, again, I think the thing about the Book of Boba Fett, and again, I've only watched, like, I think the first three episodes, like, he's fascinating from the perspective of, okay, so he's, you know, he's obviously taken over for Jabba, which, fine, fun. Like, he's taken over, like, he's taken over now, right? He's, yeah, he's taken over tattooing. Great. But, like... He refuses to just sit back and, like, take money and just sit there, which is, like, the point. Yeah, to being the like, boss. Yeah, yeah, like, he'd rather be like, no, I gotta go, like, threaten people. And, like, I guess, like, to a certain extent, yes, he has to, like, assert that role, but also... But then you get a lot of weird background on him and, like, how he got out of the Sarlacc pit. And I think what Book of Boba Fett suffers from is I stop caring very quickly about the political stuff going on. Like, mm. I'm like, no, I want to know how he got out of the Sarlacc pit and what happened, like, after that, because that was more interesting. Like, yeah. that becomes a much more interesting, like, oh. Yeah. Okay, like, that's cool. Still a little too many badass moments happening, but, like, it was cool versus, like, the weird political stuff that just makes me go, okay, but he's, like, a bounty hunter, like... Why does he even want to be in charge? Like, why does he care about any of this? Yeah, I would agree. Also, like, um, eh, I'll, I'll talk about it in episode two. It's just another thing I want to bring up, but I'm saving all my... I'm trying to save all my hatred for episode two. Save your rage. Because yeah, that's genuinely the only Star Wars movie that I don't like. Like, I, But we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it in a little while. This has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to our email at onceagainpod at gmail.com, which I have a bad feeling about this. I feel like since we criticize Star Wars, we might get quite a few comments. Follow us on our social media accounts, Once Again Pod, all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. You know, it's okay. We never get comments. <laughs> Give us comments. <laughs> if you would like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you and have a wonderful day. And remember, we will entertain you. We will always entertain you.
Rumpelstiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description.